Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the extra show where we discuss the week's big stories in bite-sized chunks. I'm Connor Pope and today I'm joined by Matthew Doyle. Probably the big story of the week was uh, around Theresa May's statement on Monday where she confirmed the, uh, the the vote on her withdrawal agreement will take place in Parliament from the week commencing the 14th of January. Is this much of a change from her previous deadline, which was January 21st? Well, it's a difference in that the problem is, is that if her deal goes down as expected, then there isn't really the time needed to try and work out what you come back with as another option. And what we've seen is really just a wasted month for no apparent reason other than to delay the inevitable from the Prime Minister. I'm unclear as to what will have materially changed between the proposed December date there was and this date in January that we're now going to have the vote. So it's just been a yet another lost month within this whole months and months of wasted time from back when the government triggered Article 50 before it even had a plan. When we recorded Tuesday's podcast, which was on, we recorded it on Monday, uh, and people who listen to that show will know that halfway through recording, we got a kind of beep on the phone and discovered that Jeremy Corbyn was about to launch a no-confidence vote in Theresa May, but importantly, not in the government. Now, 40 minutes after we finished recording that, that was suddenly out of date. And then a few hours later, he decided he was going to do it again. And then Theresa May said that they weren't going to make any time for this no confidence vote in Parliament this week. And so it was kind of out of date again. I couldn't really quite get my head around why why Labour had chosen to do it as a, a no confidence in the Prime Minister rather than in the government itself. Well, I think if you were being generous, then what you would say is that their hope was on a motion against the Prime Minister, you might have peeled off some of those Tories that they know had voted against her in a no-confidence motion if they knew that by voting in this motion, i.e. a no-confidence in the Prime Minister, it wasn't part of the process that could have led to triggering a general election. So where I think the Labour leadership was right is that there clearly aren't the votes in Parliament for a no-confidence motion in the government, as in that type of formal motion that is required under the Fixed Terms Parliament Act 
to trigger the path to a general election. So what they went for was this different device. Now, what's unclear is whether they realised at the time is that they were still reliant on the government giving them time for this motion. And that's where this seems to have sort of come a cropper as a plan. My presumption is that they must have been, because I'd re-looked at what the Fixed Term Parliament Act says only last week, which I'm sure they must have done as well. And it's quite clear that you have to have the specific wording to have a no-confidence vote in the government that would lead to possibly a general election. And that anything else essentially is just you going off your own back and doesn't really mean anything. So my presumption is that they were doing it that way and and possibly they hoped to get essentially a story out of it that the government wouldn't allow time for it and then they would be able to say that the government are running scared of a no-confidence vote. In this. But that is... It feels slightly convoluted, but that was the only kind of logic that I could see in it. Yeah, there's always a risk in these things that you're kind of too clever by half. And there was clearly also a bit where Labour was worried about being outflanked by the SNP and some of the other Mm. smaller opposition parties in not being seen as sufficiently anti the government in this process. But look, the, the bigger problem is that both party leaders are essentially in this holding pattern that we're stuck in at the moment. We're in this holding pattern with the government where Theresa May knows her deal is going to be voted down when it comes back, but she's just trying to delay the inevitable on that. And similarly, Jeremy Corbyn knows that there aren't the votes for a general election, and he is going to have to fall in in line with party policy as agreed at the party conference on another referendum. But again, he's trying to delay the inevitable on that as well. So that's why you saw in Prime Minister's Question Time this week a lot of heat but not a lot of light in terms of the very fiery rows that there were. But ultimately, both leaders are just in a position where they're waiting until the new year to try and move their positions on. We'll come back to that in a sec. I just wanted to go on to the pub quiz question this week because ah, that related yes. to no confidence votes. My question was uh, how many times did a government lose a no confidence vote in the whole of the 20th century? Uh, which I think you know the answer to, well, don't Well, I you? believe the answer is three. Yeah, but so the, so the three times, I, so in 1924, yeah. there was two. Stanley Baldwin and Ramsay MacDonald both lost no confidence votes in 1924. And then obviously... 1979. The, the third one is uh, Jim Callaghan in 1979, which feels like, um, I, I don't know why, but I kind of expected it to be higher than that. Well, yeah, and it's interesting that there wasn't one around the time of the uh, chaos within the government in the Second World War, for example. Yeah. But they they obviously resolved that through the change of leadership with Winston Churchill coming in then. So I think what it does show that is that ultimately party politics or party loyalty, I should say, plays out in these circumstances. Mm. And uh, however difficult things are, even with John Major and... Uh, the process with them when he was losing votes to the Maastricht rebels, every time those Maastricht rebels still fell in line when it came to there being an op- to being a confidence vote in the in the government of the day, and that's why I think we've just got to get off this idea that there is a a moment that we're waiting for where a confidence vote is going to be won because there's just no evidence that a sufficient number of Tories will ever swing behind a Jeremy Corbyn led motion to have no confidence in their mm. own party. That's interesting. Uh, To go back to what you were just saying a minute ago, though, so both May and Corbyn are now waiting until the new year uh, to try and move things and change things at all. Some MPs are saying that it's ridiculous that uh, MPs should be leaving Parliament over Christmas at all. There should be no Christmas break given 
the intensity and the kind of importance of of what is going on with Brexit at the moment. Is there any would there be any point in in not leaving? No, only if Theresa May was to bring the vote forward. I think there's no point in Parliament sitting for the sake of it. The only argument would be is if somehow Theresa May could be compelled to say, right, okay, I tell you what, I will bring the vote forward back on the Monday the 7th rather than the week beginning the 14th if we've sat on, you know, I don't know, the Thursday and the Friday the week before. But there is no point in Parliament sitting just for the sake of it. Frankly, I think there's a case for saying that given the tempers we saw at the PMQs, that a break, might that, be yeah. a, a break might be a good idea for people. But what is criminal is that Theresa May has delayed the vote in the way that she has, as I say, for no reason other than just for her own political longevity. Now, outside of Parliament, and very literally just outside yeah. of Parliament this week, Gaula Remes, a man sleeping on the streets, passed away in the cold conditions. This was a really stark reminder of the problems that exist outside of whatever Punch and Judy show is going on in the Commons this week. And I think actually it has affected Westminster quite, mm. quite deeply, I think, in some ways, hasn't it? Yeah, for the news of this to come out when you have had these squabbles in Parliament, it really just does highlight that difference between what goes on in the chamber and uh, what goes on in the real world. And what's depressing about it, obviously, aside from the individual tragedy, is that it is an example of this bigger problem that the government seems to have, that Brexit is obviously going to consume the work of the Prime Minister and two or three other cabinet ministers. But why is it that when you have something like this with Brexit, that it does ultimately consume the governments as a whole, it seems. I mean, we have cabinet government in this country. And so supposedly, there's no reason why other cabinet ministers can't be getting on with their own decisions. And incidentally, we saw a similar thing happen with the Gordon Brown government when it was the financial crisis, where you saw similarly a period where Gordon Brown obviously was focused on that. But there seemed to be not a lot of uh, bandwidth left for other cabinet ministers to make an announcement. But if you are James Brokenshire, you're the you're the Secretary of State at the moment responsible for these issues, you don't need legislation. You just need to spend money and solve the problem. I mean, we saw when Labour was in power and it took decisions with the coming in from the cold policy as it was in uh, 1999 that saw homelessness cut by two thirds and the number of people sleeping rough fell by three quarters. And that's when you had an integrated plan that covered hostels, mental health, people working on the streets with those who were sleeping rough. So many of these decisions ultimately come down to political will and frankly not large sums of money that this government should be able to spend on this rather than wasting £2 billion planning for a no-deal Brexit that isn't going to happen and instead Theresa May is trying to use that money to somehow bounce MPs or the public into thinking that there is genuinely a chance of no deal happening. When we know from the ruling of the European Court of Justice, we know from the votes in Parliament, and we know from the Prime Minister's own words that the government is not going to let a no deal Brexit happen. Perhaps it's just my kind of naivety, having grown up as a teenager through the 2000s, and and having seen, you know, what a country that has very little rough sleeping looks like, and now having seen one that actually has a lot of rough mm. sleeping. But it also kind of seems like it's not that difficult a problem to solve, especially now that there is essentially 
a plot that was done in the last 20 years of, of how you can do it and, and what kind of things need to be done. And it just seems remarkable that the political will isn't there to do it when it's so obvious. Anyway, someone in Westminster has set up um, a just giving page in Remis's memory uh, for donations to go to Streetlink, a charity which helps rough sleepers by putting them in contact with the services that can support them. Uh, we'll have a link to that underneath. Uh, please do give. I think that is a really good idea. We are going to leave it there, but we have two podcast episodes coming up over the break. Uh, we've got an end of year quiz with Alison McGovern mm. and Stella Creasy going head to head on Christmas Eve and a review of the year with Alison and Stephanie Lloyd on New Year's Day. Then we'll be back into the normal routine after that, but don't miss out on any of that and make sure that you subscribe now and you can listen through ACAST, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. <laughs>